So let me start a bit of a conversation about Spike Lee's 1994 film, Crooklyn. It's a film that uh, comes out two years after Malcolm X and is the first time since school days that Spike Lee had not come out with the film in consecutive years. It's really astonishing to think about that series of films, as I've mentioned many times before, looking at uh, school days, do the right thing, all the way up through Malcolm X. It's a film a year, but even as a film a year, it's uh, nevertheless uh, an incredible uh, variety. No one could ever say that Spike Lee was somehow making the same film over and over. Changes everything from the aesthetic to the theme to his own cinematic style and aspiration. And I think that the biopic of Malcolm X with its epic vision, its political significance, but also its incredibly um, in, in incredibly tight and disciplined editing and, and production values, you know, you really see how Spike Lee has moved from school days and its budget and its aesthetic and its effort to um, the genre of the of the biopic and all of the things that come with that the stardom um, the the highest aspirations in terms of the kind of figure Malcolm X is and also as I've said across the previous uh, podcast pieces Spike Lee really offering us a sustained meditation on the formation of black masculinity so there's something really different about Crooklyn of course it features a little girl Troy and uh, her journey and in that way moves away from questions of masculinity to the question of girlhood and its relationship to uh, both childhood broadly and also to the formation of, of this notion of black womanhood it is also you know the first time that spike lee had taken a year off and i think that's itself is really interesting that he comes back from the big epic really um you know global significance kind of film that he made with malcolm x to making a much much more intimate film maybe the most intimate film along with get on the bus most intimate film of his career with crooklyn it's important to know that spike lee uh, wrote crooklyn uh, co-wrote crooklyn i'm sorry with his siblings and I think that Joy Lee's presence in the film is uh, interesting and important. She's always actually, I think, a great presence in his works. But uh, her mark on this uh, script is has to be uh, deep and profound. It really has different touches than other Spike Lee scripts. And I love that. I, I think that sense of collaboration is both uh, necessary in terms of the theme. I mean, it's a lot to ask Spike Lee to have made film after film exploring black masculinity to all of a sudden explore black girlhood with the same kind of intensity and insight. But it also, I, I think, in that way shows his humility as a filmmaker and writer that he understood that for all of the responsibility he takes on in making a Spike Lee film, he could not make this film without uh, alternative input, right? Um, without more input, in this case, from a trusted source and longtime collaborator, Joy Lee. Now, there's a lot to talk about, and I want in the next piece to uh, discuss some of what I would call the aesthetic values of the film. It's the use of music, but also um, 
it's it's shifting in geographies we'll talk a little bit uh, i'll talk a little bit in the next piece about the south and and what it means for uh, spike lee to imagine the south and imagine these bohemian uh, brooklynites a sort of working class lower middle class family uh, visiting the south there's something really interesting that goes on there but really the primary aim of the film is to give us insight not in only into this character troy young girl whose uh, mother dies and she takes over as head of the household in all of the i would say uh, affective ways right the father still works and lives with them but she takes over uh, the emotional and and physical maintenance of the home that's the very end of the film and so really the film builds toward that and uh, what we make of that journey of Troy's journey from uh, the one girl in the home or one girl sibling uh, in the home and then the the one woman in the home without actually having become you know what we would call a woman legally you know over age 18 but to be to go from girl to woman I think is a really uh, important and profound uh, meditation in the film and very challenging to us because it raises difficult questions that I'll get into around the meaning or even just the very uh, idea of black childhood as a contested concept. Now, I think when you do this kind of work that Spike Lee and Joy Lee are doing, uh, I think in particular we always have to mention Joy Lee as 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 the woman working on the script um, and and imagine that her input on this this depiction of Troy is quite profound um, we do have to I think you know determine or at least frame ahead of time exactly how we read the film and what I mean by how we read the film is that you know when I've taught it and the bits and pieces that I've read on it I, I think there's a, a kind of complex uh, merging of relationships to the film one is a deep love of the film if you were to ask me what do I think is Spike Lee's best film like non-documentary film I would say Crooklyn and my criterion for that best is you know what is a film that understands itself works within its constraints and executes its vision uh, most in a most disciplined and refined way and I think Crooklyn absolutely does that I think and Malcolm X, I think, is obviously a competitor with this, but Malcolm X is just such a different kind of film. But of, of the sort of Spike Lee, Spike Lee films, the things that we think have his sort of distinctive touches, um, you know, the intimacy of Brooklyn uh, is, is, I think, really one of the one of the features of that. I think this is his best film. But in thinking about its 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 internal discipline, like the way it holds together, and really is so deeply, uh, so uh, intensely self-contained, and really doesn't need to work outside of itself, it nevertheless raises this question of you know what happens to Joy, or sorry, what happens? Funny slip, what happens to Troy? Right? What happens to her across this film? as she uh, assumes the head of household while she is still by you know all objective measures uh, still a little girl and i think when i teach it and when i when i what i've read about it and even when i think about it i have real conflicted relations to that that you know to begin that this is such an injustice to troy 
She's just a little girl. She loses her mother. And all of a sudden she has adult responsibilities that come immediately after. But that's intention with this sense that this film is beautiful, complete, loving, affectionate, and works with real sensitivity around Troy's life and the twists and turns that it takes and the ultimate turn that it takes where she transitions from being a girl to being a woman and in, in terms of the relationship to the home. Outside the home is a whole different question. Now, that mixture of feelings, I think, is exactly what we are supposed to get from Spike Lee. But it also raises this question of how do we interpret or read this film, right? And if we read it in, the, in a normative register, I think we have a real difficult time making sense of it. Or we find Lee's depiction deeply objectionable, right? If his normative claim, right, how things ought to be, is prescriptive if this is what he is doing in the film and telling us that you know girls ought to over uh, take over the head of household if the mother passes away or is unavailable um then i think uh, that's a very problematic position and i don't think very many people would argue i actually don't think spike lee would argue with that at all but we don't get a sense of troy as a tragic figure we don't get a sense of her life being destroyed by this and I think that's our clue that reading it in a normative register completely misunderstands the film. Sometimes I have a fight with my students about this who want to read every Spike Lee film as prescriptive and normative. And I just never think that that's true. I think there are moments in the film where he wants to offer really stark corrections and prescriptions, uh, all of his films that take on significant topics. But in these kind of broader stories that he tells, I really think we have to understand them under the rubric of portraiture. And when we understand a film under the rubric of portraiture, we measure its success, its good, its bad, its mediocrity. We measure that not according to our own vision of the social order, but rather we measure that in relation to the world it describes. Because every portrait, of course, is an attempt to not only draw a picture of an individual person, but in drawing a picture of an individual person, elevate that person into a kind of person embedded in a vision of people. A person embedded in people. And in that way, I think the real question about you know, how to evaluate Crooklyn is not about whether a justice or injustice was done to Troy but rather is this depiction of black girlhood in Crooklyn fitted, you know, in its portrait of Troy, fitted to the world that it describes, that it's describing? Does it actually make sense in the context of working class New England, or sorry, not New England, New York City, working class New York City in the 1970s? And if so, if it resonates in those kinds of places, then we can say that Spike Lee is drawing a portrait of significance. I like that part because I think when we start to think about filmmakers or poets or novelists or theorists as interesting and drawing up uh, pictures for us and telling us stories that have broad resonance and deep significance culturally and socially, then we can really talk about the success of filmmakers and artists and, and writers 
without always drawing back to a question of normativity. Do they have the kind of politics that I want them to have? Do I agree with the kind of things they're telling us to do? I don't think Spike Lee ever tells us what to do. That's why I've said many times that Spike Lee works in the interrogative. It's cinema in the interrogative. And if it's cinema in the interrogative, it is engaged often, if not nearly always, with a portrait, right? So it's not working, you know, in some way with, a, a, you know, a, an ought, but rather here's a picture. And if we look at this picture of a world, how can we situate our own evaluation of the kinds of people involved in that world, right? The way they resonate across history and memory and places. So in that way, when I teach it, and what I would offer here is the success or failure of Crooklyn is really its ability to connect to a cultural world, to the kinds of things that are asked of black girls in homes when uh, when either the mother is absent in the case of, of the death of the mother in Crooklyn or under any other conditions, you know, where, where whenever the mother is, is unable to be there, whether for work or incarcerated or absent um, or just incapacitated in some fundamental way, what is asked then of black girls in these moments? That's the portraiture. That's the portraiture of a particular time, right, in the 1970s. And that portraiture in the 1970s also links it not to a broad story of the race, so to speak, but rather a broad story about a particular moment in time. Now, in drawing that picture up, I think we see the real complexity of Troy across the film, where her name is Troy and she gets teased for being a tomboy. And there's something really interesting there. I've never been quite sure how to, to play with that, uh, to think with that, except that it's such a playful, but also I think deeply revealing thing about Troy's own capacities to assert power in the world. That is, Spike Lee is very careful, and Joy Lee as a writer is very careful to make sure that we don't see Troy as a weakened figure right as a girl who's incapable of doing anything other than what's asked of her in the end which is to take the lead to take over the power in the domestic sphere right so that idea then that troy is not capable of only one thing and that is her fate which is a truly awful scenario to draw up she's instead a powerful and deeply capable girl whose twist in life leaves her in this role as the head in the domestic sphere. Two things come up with that that resonate with themes that I, I, I'm gonna t I've already talked about a bit and we'll talk about in, in, uh, across the coming films as well. One is this phrase, woman's work, right? Again, in the mode of portraiture rather than prescription. I'm completely uninterested in women's work as a category of prescription. I, I just, I don't think Spike Lee's interested in that. And me, as a as a theorist and and reader of texts, I'm completely uninterested in prescribing or even lifting prescriptions out of these texts. But rather in the mode of portraiture, right? What are the kinds of things demanded of black women? Now, what we see in this film is Troy's mother having these demands. Right? The discipline of the children, the maintenance of finances, the stability in every way, emotionally, uh, socially, 
in terms of presence in the family and the financial aspect is just so enormous. Troy's father is a musician, struggling but committed to his craft. He insists on non-popular jazz, right? He refuses to play rock music because he believes in his art. I think that's a really important portrait also in the film. He's not an abject or absent father. What he is instead is someone who is committed to something noble, but that nobility of his commitment actually harms his family. How does it harm his family? Not through his children who feel loved and feel their father's presence, even when he's kicked out of the house after a big fight, a really important scene in the film, um, but rather the harm that it does at the same time, and the simultaneity is important at the same time as the beauty and the dignity of his commitment, the real harm it does is to the mother, to his wife, right? That it intensifies the woman's work. It intensifies it in terms of her responsibilities for finances. He writes bad checks, forgets to tell her, um, just lackadaisical about play, paying bills, and they lose their electricity, and it's both, you know, physically traumatic and frightening for them. But more than that, it's it's humiliating to come home and to, to have to beg and lie to the to the bill collector and or not the bill collector, the person turning off the electricity. Oh, we paid it, we paid it, knowing full well you didn't. There's something deeply embarrassing and humiliating in the that particular scene when Alfred Woodard's character uh, walks out to, to try to beg for the electricity to be left on. Uh, she is just so fantastic in this film. I think it's, it's, it's a, again, one of the really great performances across Spike Lee's cinematic work. And so that, that responsibility that comes with the father's presence and idealism and deeply ethical and aesthetic commitment is not something that takes place in a vacuum. I really like that investigation or that aspect of describing and giving a portrait of domesticity. Because what we had gotten in something like, like Mo' Better Blues was Bleak, who was a successful musician, right? And then someone who could teach his son at the end, and who knows what he does for work. But we didn't get a sense of what it might mean to actually be committed as a jazz musician to the jazz form in a moment where that means you make almost no money. And that you have something akin to recitals rather than club dates. And you don't make money. But that's not just a story about an, an idealist artist. And I love that Spike Lee doesn't let us believe that. But at the same time, lets us see that. That that's what the father wants. He wants art. And that's a good thing. He is never made abject for that. But it's never the case that that idealism comes without consequence. And the consequence to deal with that consequence is woman's work. Right? And so... I think there's a kind of hidden story there, perhaps, about masculinity, but the film really doesn't get into it. What the film does get into is, is the other side of this gendered formation, right? What woman's work means in this moment, right? And in this portrait, and the intense anxiety and suffering that come with that. We really get the sense, and this is Woodard's uh, fantastic acting performance in the film, we really get the sense that she is constantly on the edge of a breakdown, but she cannot break down because of the immensity of her responsibilities. That, of course, comes to a close when she dies. Right? She has cancer and dies. And so her responsibilities are left right, uh, open. Who takes up that space? And it's not the father, it's Troy. It's not the father, it's Troy, 
is again this continuation of the theme of women's work. That women's work is exactly what the mother did. And so the only other woman to ta- has to take up that work. And that other woman is Troy. But Troy is not a woman. She's a girl. And we get this sense of her being, you know, in between boy and girl, like multiple times. There are all these, you know, humorous, but also I think really kind of contemplative signifiers, the humorous of her putting uh, tissue and, and, you know, under her shirt to sort of see what she would look like if she had breasts and this sort of humor about puberty or prepubescent moments where you start to imagine as a child what you will look like as an adult. Um, but it also has more serious stuff where she is, is you know, she's required to do the, the grocery shopping. And she sees in this famous, uh, not famous, but like, you know, you know really, uh, I think, well done scene. A um, couple, of, couple of scenes where she encounters the glue sniffing uh, young men, uh, Spike Lee being one of them. And she has to deal with that sort of like this is a neighborhood that has like a lot of problems. She also watches their neighbor, uh, a Vietnam veteran, uh, get arrested uh, for some, not very much, but, you know, get hauled away by the police. So she encounters that as in this kind of in-between child and adult. And, of course, the scene uh, in the bodega with a character played by RuPaul, um, you know, dancing sexually with someone in an aisle. And there's that moment where in that scene Troy is both intrigued and frightened by it right and in these scenes right with the glue sniffers with the arrest with the sexual you know suggestiveness in the bodega we really get Spike Lee drawing up a portrait of a of Troy as in between she's between girl and adult in the end of the film she has to be an adult and when she has to be an adult at the end of the film I think it's really important to understand the trajectory, right? It allows us to see backwards that Troy has always been stuck in between. She's always been between girl and woman. And in that way, and this is sort of my concluding sort of thought, is that part of what I think Spike Lee is getting at, having depicted children in so many of his other films as sort of chaos agents, as people who are, as, as you know, children, as, as young people engaged in like constant reinvention and play, all of a sudden Troy doesn't have that, right? And that's a corrective, I think, for Lee. Where he's like, you know, I've had this idealized, affectionate vision of children in all of these, uh, so many of these other films. But you know what? This idea of black childhood is itself a contested, if not impossible, category. That perhaps black childhood is something that doesn't exist. Perhaps to be black and to be of childhood age is to already be an adult. And you can do that representation through the sort of deep traumas of walkabout life. I think we really get a lot of that in uh, Red Hook Summer, which is, you know, what, 18 years later. But um, here we get it in terms, not in terms of trauma, but uh, or not in terms of trauma, in terms of sort of abandonment and racial trauma of the neighborhood, but instead of just the expectations of girls, like what is known to be their responsibility and how that folds so easily and immediately into the kinds of responsibilities that women have in the home. And so thinking about women's work in this portrait and also the meaning of black childhood in this portrait, I think that we see two things, right? One, we see that women's work is this immensely 
uh, uh, stressful, I don't know how else to put it, immensely stressful um, set of responsibilities that have to manage everything for everybody, right? Everything from her brother's hair or her son's hair, right, in the case of, of Troy and her mother, or Troy's mother, um, the responsibility for hair, for grocery shopping, for cooking, and for finances, Right? It really is like the complete maintenance of the body, right? The, bo- the maintenance of the body through finance, right? You have to pay rent and you have to pay bills in order to be warm and safe. You have to buy food and prepare food for your body to be uh, uh, nourished, right? But also there's the adornment or even just maintenance of the body that, uh, that is part of the few scenes in the film about hair, but also one that concludes it where there's this overlaying of of Troy and her mother as Troy is doing her brother's hair and her mother is doing her hair and talking about, you know, who she is, how she's, you know, a great person and Troy's mother praising her and you're beautiful and you're wonderful and you make this world work. And there's Troy making this world work at the most basic sort of maintenance of the body, right? Doing her brother's hair, right? His comfort, his adornment. And so there's all of that that comes with thinking about the relationship between girlhood and women's work. But it is also, as I said, a deep commentary on the precarity at best, or maybe complete uh, fiction at worst, of this category, black childhood. That there is no such thing, right? And there is a fantasy of black childhood. And there are elements of a sort of suspended play, right? Suspended sort of um, uh, adulthood that can come in moments of play and playfulness. But that what Troy gets us to see is that's always precarious. Because always lurking around the corner or maybe immediately on the doorstep is adulthood, no matter the age of the child. And that is no more evident and no more bold in terms of of its effect on the psyche and the bodies of black children than in the case of girls. That black girlhood is many things and one of the things it is is a fiction. That is, black girls are already women in terms of their responsibility for and participation in this thing that I keep calling women's work. And when you start to think about girlhood and women's work at the same time, you make that concept of black childhood or black girlhood shake, vibrate, tremble, right? Deeply unstable. And where to go and how to work with that, I think, is exactly what the film is about. But it doesn't resolve it for us. It's simply, again, in the mode of portraiture and not in the mode of prescription. It's not going to tell us what to do or how to do it. It's instead saying, this is how these things play out. These are the responsibilities of girls. And the responsibility of girls makes the concept of childhood precarious. But also, let's not simply make that abject. Let's remember that that's something beautiful. Not beautiful about the category black girlhood, right, or women's work. But something that if we make it abject, we only redouble the theft of childhood the theft of open play, right? The, the, the pause before the full burdens of, of adulthood. We only double the negativity of that if we simply stand back and say Troy is a victim of this injustice, which she absolutely is. It's a tr- terribly sad film 
in its key moments, especially at the end. But there's also the beauty of Troy, and I want to talk about the music in the next piece. But the fact that it ends with music that is both pretty and uplifting is this moment to make sure that we don't see Troy as simply abject, but rather we see Troy as this portrait of black girlhood that is deeply entwined with women's work and for all of the injustices of what black childhood means. If it is in fact a fiction, impossible, or profoundly compromised from the beginning, it also has within it, and we have to see it, and we see it in Troy, its own form of beauty. <laughs>